I mean, I'm fierce, I'm mad, I'm rude, I got that pro fighter attitude I'm in the octagon with the podcast on, let's talk about it on Scrattitude You know I've been the best, grab my belt and begin to flex So wild, I might hit the rep, we got the winner's circle segments And the two on five takeaways with Tim and Jeff So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do, whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Scrattitude So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do, whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Scrattitude, yeah Howdy, y'all, and welcome to Tim Talk 290, brought to you by the Scraptitude Podcast Network. This is your host, Timothy Lewis, taking you coast to coast and doing the most. Thank you for tuning in. For the uninitiated, this podcast combines three key perspectives, an aggregate of the odds makers, a look at the data courtesy of the Scraptitude Analytics Database, and lastly, that of myself, a decade-plus analyst, viewer, and more recently, sports better, here to fill all the gaps in between. The goal of this program is to give you a comprehensive base of information, a look at both the film and the data, covering all the bases so that you can make educated bets come, fr- come fight night. While I'm going to give you my picks, what I believe probabilistically to be the most likely outcomes, what I will be betting on fight night, I encourage you to take this information and synthesize it for yourself. Now, as is customary, let us review the results from the previous Tim Talk, 289. While we have found great success in Tim Talk, 289 was not the strongest result. We got Two out of the three fights, right? I'm not including the Nasordine Imaval versus Chris Curtis fight because that one was voided early due to a clash of heads. I will say that my pick of Chris Curtis was not looking good. Then Dan Ige did defeat Nate Landwehr, but he didn't get it done by TKO. We were so close to hitting that second round prop. Now, this is where I, I have strong misgivings. The Charles Oliveira-Benil Dariush fight. I went back and I listened to my analysis and I heard myself talking about how Charles Oliveira, superior athlete, superior age-adjusted experience, superior strength of schedule, and yet somehow I ended up buying into a styles make fights argument, which is the antithesis of what I try to accomplish here. I hate using colloquialisms as a way to analyze fights. I hate simplifying things down into convenient little sayings and turning those into rules of analysis. Yes, they can provide guidelines, but it's an unsophisticated, unlayered way of going about this. And it just goes to show you, even someone like myself who's really trying to pioneer these Uh, avenues of analysis, sometimes I get sucked into old patterns, and that's what happened there. And I want to apologize to y'all. I want to apologize to myself because that is a, it's an egregious miss, an egregious miss. And then following things up, yes, Amanda Nunes beat Irene Aldana, Irene Aldana. It'll show that out of the fights tabulated, I went two for three, which is the same as the odds makers, but no outcome-specific predictions Dariush decision, that was a flop. 
Amanda Nunes couldn't get the ever-tough Irene Aldana out of there inside the distance, and Dan Ige missed on the TKO. But we have another four fights to analyze here, and we're going to get right into that. Yo, yeah. First on the docket, we have Dan the Hangman Hooker taking on Jalen Turner. Currently, Dan Hooker sits as a plus 204 underdog to the minus 259 favorite of Jalen Turner. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 32.9% implied likelihood of victory for Dan Hooker to the 72.1% implied likelihood for Jalen Turner. Analyzing these things, two variables jump out. Dan Hooker is the much more experienced fighter. He has far more professional mixed martial arts bouts at 34 to just 19 for Jalen Turner. On the flip side, Jalen Turner's physical measurables are unusual for this lightweight weight class. He's six foot three and has a 77 inch reach. Uh, this man, it really makes no sense how he gets to 155 pounds and he leverages these athletic and physical variables very well. So what will it be? The longtime contender, the experienced Dan Hooker, or the athletically and physically gifted Jalen Turner? From a cursory glance, it's clear that Dan Hooker has a limited ceiling. When he stepped up in competition, he's come up short, save for his back-and-forth war with Dustin Poirier, the fight that really put him on the map. The reality is that he has both athletic limitations and skill set limitations that prevent him from competing at the top of the division. We've seen him struggle with explosive athletes like Edson Barbosa, Arnold Allen, and Michael Chandler, as well as against wrestlers like Islam Makachev. Hooker is at his best when he's fighting long, staying out of range, and hitting you with heavy shots. While he won't wow you with his speed, he does have good strike selection, dangerous knees, and toughness that is second to none in the organization. This man can take a beating with the best of them. Unfortunately, toughness is not always the best quality, and we've seen that in some of his bouts. Furthermore, the attributes that he leans on, the typical reach and height advantage, won't be present against Jalen Turner. We should project him to be at a noticeable speed disadvantage as well. When I line all of this up, it appears that there is a clear-cut argument for Jalen Turner. The Southpaw has been on a streak even though he lost his last bout to Mataj Gamrot. So is there any credence to picking Dan Hooker? Well, the fights in which Jalen Turner has struggled have been against wrestlers. Dan Hooker has shown the ability to uh, mix in takedowns as necessary, but has never relied on that skill set to control a fight. The other times that we've seen Jalen Turner struggle is either when he's up a weight class against larger men at welterweight or early in his career when he was rather inexperienced. And while Jalen Turner's record might not stand out, Overall, he has won 7 out of 10 UFC bouts, so that's a 70% UFC win percentage to the 60% win percentage of Dan Hooker. I simply don't see an area of this fight where Dan Hooker will be able to seek refuge. I don't think he's going to be able to bully in the clinch, likely being the smaller man. I don't think he's going to be able to work his 
striking from the outside against the taller, quicker fighter. And I don't believe that he has the grappling credentials to regularly ground Jalen Turner after even Mataj Gamrot struggled to do so. Couple all of that with Dan Hooker's 17-plus percent loss-by-finish rate and Jalen Turner's 1.57% knockdown rate, and you're aligning the stars in a way that indicates a cataclysmic result for the New Zealander. I'm taking Jalen Turner, and I believe he gets it done inside the distance. Yo, yeah. Next up, we have the return of Robert the Reaper Whitaker taking on South Africa's Drakus Duplessis. Currently, Robert Whitaker sits at a substantial minus 402 aggregate favorite to the plus 293 aggregate underdog that is Duplessis. In terms of percentages, that converts to an 80.1% implied likelihood of victory for Robert Whitaker to the 25.4% implied likelihood for Duplessis. Now, this fight represents a marvelous opportunity for Drakus Duplessis. If he wins this bout, he will get a title shot against fellow African Israel Adesanya. But that's a big if. Robert Whitaker is the premier gatekeeper in the UFC, rivaled only by Hawaii's Max Holloway. Beyond that, he's made a career of channeling his athleticism into excellent takedown defense that has seen him defeat the likes of Yoel Romero, Jacare Souza, and Derek Brunson. So therein lies the challenge for Dreykus Duplessis. While he does have athleticism, while he does have power, his striking leaves a lot to be desired from a technical respect, especially in terms of his defense. Now, Duplessis has managed to achieve finishes in almost every single one of his career fights, but that's going to be no easy task against the Reaper. So while some of the underlying metrics are strong in terms of finish rate, in terms of winning rate, in terms of average opponent wins for Dreykus Duplessis, he now faces a challenge far greater than any other he's encountered in his entire career. Now for Robert Whitaker, still in the prime of his career, the same cannot be said. Furthermore, the picture only gets bleaker for Duplessis, who not only leaves much to be desired in terms of his takedown acumen, but also in terms of his striking and entries into the pocket. Robert Whitaker has this back-and-forth, in-and-out movement. He has strong legs and the ability to enter and exit range very quickly, a stylistic attribute that bodes very poorly for a man who likes to run forward, hands down, chin up in Dreykus Duplessis. While it may sound like I am low on the South African, I simply believe it's a bad matchup for him. I like his combination of size and athleticism, the multidimensionality of his lethality, but he's not going to be able to enter the atmosphere where he'll find success in this fight, either in the striking or the grappling round. One interesting note here is that the two times that Dreykus Duplessis has lost have come by finish. Robert Whitaker, meanwhile, having beaten the shit out of several opponents in a row, has struggled to obtain a finish. Something has got to give here, and I believe Dreykus Duplessis' chin gets cracked. Robert Whitaker gets his first finish in a long time, a long time. Robert Whitaker, TKO, lock it in. Yo, yeah. Next up, we have the trilogy, 
or the rematch, depending on how you define that exhibition bout on the Ultimate Fighter, between Brandon Moreno and Alexandre Pantoja. Currently, Brandon Moreno sits as a minus 196 aggregate favorite to the plus 159 underdog that is Pantoja. In terms of percentages, this converts to a 66.2% implied likelihood of victory for Moreno to the 28.6% implied likelihood of Alexandre Pantoja. What's really fun about this fight is that Pantoja has kind of been the big brother in the octagon to Brandon Moreno. He's always been the older, more mature fighter, but that advantage was uh, exacerbated by the context that he was always a little bit closer to his prime, a little bit more experienced than Brandon Moreno. Now, with their last fight having happened five years ago, Pantoja was just entering his prime. This fight here, they are both squarely in their athletic peak, or as y'all have heard me say, the age apex. Now, watching those fights back, the previous encounters between these two men, I think that you can largely throw them out. Without a doubt, Brand Moreno's striking has improved tremendously, offensively and defensively, strike selection, power. All of it has, appears to have caught up to his natural sense of gamesmanship and his durability. It's also safe to say that Alexandre Pantoja is the best that he has ever been. Coming off of three straight victories against Manel Kopp, Brandon Roy Val, and Alex Perez, two of which came by submission. For me personally, it's bizarre that Brandon Moreno should be such a big favorite in this fight. We don't have an amazing benchmark to really assess how far he's come besides the eye test. He's cleaned up his technique a lot. But so many of those fights have come against Davis and Figueredo, an opponent he was uniquely suited to defeat with his combination of cardio and output and durability. Aside from that, he beat Kai Carr of France for the second time, an opponent he had also defeated right after he had lost to Pantoja. So it's difficult to assess how that uh, acts as a benchmark in the context of his improvement ahead of his second-third fight with Pantoja. Additionally, Pantoja outcompetes Brandon Royval in several key metrics, including win rate, uh, knockdown absorption rate, he's harder to hit, significant strike differential per round, and like Brandon Moreno, he has never been finished in a mixed martial arts fight, at least at the professional non-exhibition level. The interesting thing here is that while Pantoja has those victories against Brandon Moreno, it is Moreno who has shown better performances against mutual opponents, namely Davison Figueredo, Askar Askarov, and Dustin Ortiz, the former of which was just too hard-hitting, too athletically gifted for a competitive Pantoja to deal with. And then Askarov and Dustin Ortiz both had a superior wrestling acumen that allowed them to control where the fight took place while negating the Brazilian jiu-jitsu acumen of Alexandre Pantoja. So what can we glean from this stylistic dichotomy here? The ability of Moreno to deal with opponents that Pantoja struggles with, but Pantoja's ability to leverage his skill set successfully against Moreno. Well, regarding the second point there, I don't believe that we can take a lot from those first two fights that they had. They've both grown a lot. 
But Brandon Moreno's combination of durability and his scrambling has proven to be a foil for certain opponents that Pantoja struggles with. Against Askar Askarov and Dustin Ortiz, he was able to scramble his ass off and get the fight to the positions where he wanted it. What's interesting is grappler for grappler, Alexandre Pantoja likely has, you know what, definitely has a higher grappling acumen than Brandon Moreno. His back takes are some of the best in mixed martial arts. He has decent wrestling defense and his positional control, the ground and pound, all of it. He is a menace when the fight hits the mat. There's just a certain type of grappler that he struggles with. But is Brian Moreno that grappler? Can he be that kind of fighter who leans heavily on his wrestling while also being able to maintain positional dominance? Personally, I don't think so. We haven't seen it. Moreno is strong. He has good takedowns and he has slick jujitsu. But the regularity with which he utilizes those tools together to have a grappling intensive approach, it just hasn't happened. Where Moreno has tightened things up a lot is his striking, and I do expect him to have a better showing in that realm against Pantoja than he has previously. Pantoja is somewhat of a robotic fighter, very competent, has power, has technique, has versatility, but he doesn't have the motor or the athletic gifts that Brandon Moreno has demonstrated. That said, Brandon Moreno does lose focus. He makes mistakes. Despite being a stylistically problematic matchup for Davis and Figueredo, he did drop that third fight by virtue of was essentially mental lapses, lazily exiting the pocket, disrespecting the shots that came back at him. He can be hit and he can be hurt. He was hurt previously by Pantoja and he was dropped three times in that third fight against Figueredo. Overall, I'm not buying that Bram Moreno is one of these champions who's head and shoulders above the other guys in the division. I think that there's a couple guys here that could beat him any given night, and one of them is Alexandre Pantoja. So in the underdog position, I really love Pantoja, who has had success, although we're not overweighting that, but he has a comprehensive skill set and the focus of a veteran. I believe this is a 50-50 bout, at the odds that inclines me to favor Alexandre Pantoja, I'm taking him by decision. Yo, yeah. Last up, we have the main event of the evening. That is Alexander Volkanovsky defending his featherweight title against interim champion Yair Rodriguez. Currently, Alexander Volkanovsky is an aggregate favorite of minus 393 to the plus 288 aggregate underdog that is Yair Rodriguez. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 79.7% implied likelihood of victory to the 25.8% implied likelihood for Yair Rodriguez. Both men had epic showings in their last contests. Volkanovsky in a loss to lightweight champion Islam Makachev, where he earned the respect, not earned, but sustained the respect, and then added on to it among his contemporaries, MMA fans, analysts, everyone. He really etched his name in the pantheon of the sport with that performance, albeit in a loss. He was a big underdog taking on a very challenging matchup. And for Yair Rodriguez, he came out blazing against Josh Emmett, who, similar to Alexander Volkanovsky, is a shorter fighter and an explosive athlete. 
Yair Rodriguez made Josh Emmett pay for every second he spent at range, ultimately submitting him with the triangle choke in the second round. In terms of the data, the statistics, there is not a category in which Yair Rodriguez truly outcompetes Alexander Volkanovsky. The man's resume is second to none currently in the sport outside of perhaps John Bones Jones. However, one thing to watch a variable in this vast equation is that Alexander Volkanovsky, for the first time in a long time, moved up to 155 pounds. He's now back at his home of 145 pounds at 34 years old. So, as you know, 34 is a big year. It is the tail end of your prime when the first cracks of athletic decline tend to start to reveal themselves. Couple that with the weight fluctuation, and I'm not 100% sure that we're going to see the best version of Alexander Volkanovsky. The question is, will that matter? To me, this is a dangerous fight, much more dangerous than the odds makers are admitting for Alexander Volkanovsky. A technician at range, Volkanovsky has been able to dictate fights against high-level strikers using his leg kick, his speed, his in-and-out movement, and his feints. But against a kick-heavy fighter, a sniper at range with an electric diversity of techniques in Yair Rodriguez, I don't believe he's going to have the same comfort level operating there. In fact, I believe he will be in danger. For the first time, perhaps in his entire career, Volkanovski will not have the speed advantage. However, unlike Josh Emmett, who we just saw masterfully picked apart, he has a much more sophisticated and layered approach to closing the distance. He has tools that he can use from the outside. He has a diversity of feints, and then he has better strike selection and more tools at his disposal once he's inside the pocket. Furthermore, Volkanovsky just went through a wrestling intensive camp in preparation for Islam Makachev, and his wrestling in that fight was brilliant, far better than any of us could have expected. While he didn't manage to mount much offense using his wrestling, his defense, his scrambling, his strength in those positions, his understanding of leverage were all pinpoint. The thing is, it's been a long time since Alexander Volkanovsky has taken the initiative with his offensive grappling. He generally mixes in takedowns as a rhythm disruptor to open up the pathways for his striking. But Yair Rodriguez has this hairpin trigger. I don't believe that he's going to spend time trying to dissect the game of Alexander Volkanovsky at a cerebral level. He's going to be on the offense of the entire time, whether he's on his back or whether he's in the striking realm. Whether it's this fight or an upcoming one against perhaps the likes of Ilya Toporia, I expect us to start seeing Alexander Volkanovsky look more human. The athletic decline is inevitable, and these contenders are working with a ton of film to exploit even the most minute vulnerabilities in Volkanovsky's armor. These young fighters are athletic, they're young, they're dangerous, and for as much of a technician as he is, and how that could potentially bridge him into this latter stage of his career, Volkanovsky does rely on his athleticism a significant amount. He's gritty and will tough it out if he has to, but that's a fool's errand with diminishing returns. All that said, I don't think this fight is the fight that puts the nail in Volkanovsky's proverbial coffin. 
I believe that he has a, mo- a developed enough acumen in terms of his grappling and utilizing his physicality that he'll be able to close the dif- distance using his stance switching, using his feints, and get to the inside where he's able to consistently overpower Yair Rodriguez, who still shows lapses in his ability to defend the takedown. I expect an active submission threat, uh, scrambling ability from Yair Rodriguez, but overall, the wrestling and submission defense of Alexander Volkanovsky should surmount the grappling capacity of Yair Rodriguez. I'm taking Alexander Volkanovsky via grinding decision. Yo, yeah. Well, that about does it for this episode of Tim Talk. I hope you all enjoyed it, and I appreciate you tuning in. Remember, if you like this program, if you want it to continue, remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, Other than that, be sure to bet responsibly, and hit me up if you feel like talking some fights. Anyways, until next time, y'all.